0: Alright, so we are looking at the Holy Spirit, and asking the question, why is it that maybe we don't know him as well as we should? So, to pick up from where we were last week, describe the church prior to Pentecost. How actively involved was the Holy Spirit in the church prior to Pentecost? Pretty active. Okay, how so? Well, he
1: was always present. Um, I think we made the argument that uh, he
0: was within people,
1: um, some people, yeah, some people. Um, but it wasn't until like mm-hmm. there you go. Um, but uh, he would come upon people for specific tasks, for sure. specific things like that, and unique things like the plans to the temple okay. or things
0: like that. Now you started by saying he's within people. Was he dwelling within anybody before Pentecost? Yes. Not just because you, you just talked about in coming upon people, but I mean, was he was yes, he I within people? Okay. Somewhat. Anybody he remember? Well. The disciples. Yeah, didn't Christ breathe his, his spirit into people, into his disciples uh, at his return? That their first, okay. their, his first appearance he, where he's connected he to them. He <laughs> me. Yeah, you yeah. a face. Well, yeah, because I. I he was trying to I'm, trying, up. I'm trying to get'm trying to get an answer here is it's like well yeah he was with some people all the time he came on some people particularly. but in in these verses that we talked about last week from Acts chapter 1 how did God prepare his followers for for the baptism of the spirit or let me say how is baptism of the spirit functionally different from when they received the spirit in John 20. He tells people that already have the Spirit that the Spirit is going to come upon them in power. They're going to be baptized in the Spirit. What does that even mean? How is that functionally different?
2: We spent a long time looking at baptism and the words that were used and being submerged or being all inclusive or dripping with it. I just oversaturated. And that's more of what was coming um, during Pentecost. And they also have been listening. John the Baptist with other prophecies and words that have been used and said for years that he was coming all of a sudden to wash with water, but someone was coming that with baptized with fire mm-hmm. a, a lot of converging points.
0: There from. were, there were a lot of converging points, and that baptism always had conveyed this idea of you go in one thing, you come out something changed, something different so, yeah, there's all this there's all this sense with this so, funky little teaching moment, can't get too far into this I have to stop, had Jesus talked about what their relationship was going to be like with the Spirit even prior to his crucifixion? Had he talked about the coming of the Spirit? Yes. Okay. How so? Anybody remember? I talk about the comforter. Hey, there you go. Did somebody do me a favor? Read John 16, 5 through seven. Tell you what. Let's just let's just do our our, our, our round okay. Okay. starting with Sarah.
2: Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you.
0: Okay, so, how does Jesus refer to the spirit here? Okay, counselor. All right, which is an interesting word here in Greek, parakletos, parakletos. Which literally means one who speaks from alongside. He's talking alongside. Why is it called? Why, why would you? Why is, it, why is it called counselor there in that translation? How would you see counselor as one who speaks from alongside? What does a counselor do? Is there any other use of the term counselor that you can think of? Yeah, well, that's the way it was used then. Advocate. Yeah, advocate. The Greek word was used at the time that Jesus was speaking. It was primarily being used as an intercessor who would act as legal counsel for you. How is that somebody who speaks from alongside of you? Well, sometimes they speak for you. Speak
1: yeah. For
0: your case.
1: And,
0: and oftentimes they,
1: they're
0: there to be on your side. Yeah. What were you saying? They, they do that. Okay, yes. They... Sometimes they speak They speak next to you uh, and tell you stuff that you should do. Sometimes they speak on your behalf. They speak for you. They say the stuff that you don't necessarily know how to speak. Is any of that stuff that you see in Scripture, of what the Holy Spirit does? Sometimes it gives you counsel. Sometimes he is your counsel. Sometimes he seeks out and searches out. All those things. What's interesting, in modern usage, the paraclete is one of the best uh, tactical armors that is out there that, that like police and indi- individuals if you want to buy yourself tactical armor for some reason you use. Why would why would they choose the name Paraclete for something that is body armor? What would you think? Or is that just a really dumb name
1: for it? Sitting in between you and the hard stuff? Yeah.
0: It does, doesn't it? What else? It is alongside you. It's alongside of you. Anything else? Helps you, protects you, it's right there with you. Would you translate Paraclete as counselor or advocate or comforter or protector in times of intense need? How would you yes. see this is where the Amplified Bible there really be points? Yes, it could. <laughs> I have always liked the Amplified Bible as something not to My memorize. Plan, so. Think helper's too light. It, it's a great right. word, but it can't in modern, in modern usage, helper can be too light. I, I'm with you on that. But this is, this is somebody who is your counselor, who is your advocate, who stands with you, stands in the gap for you, that's there with you through all of that. Pretty intense. How would you argue that Jesus would see God's spirit as the ultimate version of one who speaks from alongside of you? Whether you want to see that in its body armor sense, you want to see that in its I'm giving you good advice, sense. I'm giving you legal counsel, sense. I am your legal counsel, sense. How would you, how would you see that? He does all of that? I suppose so. I, I suppose I actually in the, in the question. Yeah. so... and he is saying it's to their advantage that they, he those away, that that their relationship with the Holy Spirit will friend
1: them. Joy and, mm-hmm. comfort
0: in this time. and remember, this isn't, the Holy Spirit isn't here, and I have to go away, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and that we can't both be in the same place at the same time. The Holy Spirit's been throughout Christ's ministry, right? He's been around. It's not like they can't coexist at the same time. What he's saying is, is you have a relationship with me. You'll have a deeper, richer relationship with the Holy Spirit, Right? what's the underlying theme of this whole class? Because somehow we don't. If, if Christ says, the whole point is, you sit here and eat fish with me. You know me. You know the sound of my voice. You know the, the way that I give thanks. So that when I do this after my resurrection, somebody goes, wait, I know that. I'm so familiar with him. He said, you'll have an even deeper, richer, more intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's good for you. And yet somehow... We often don't. We, we, we think of the Holy Spirit as God's active force. We think of him as Jiminy Cricket being our conscience. We don't have the kind of ongoing, personal, intimate relationship that, we have, that we'd had that we like to think that we'd have if we could see Jesus with his beard on. And so it reminds us that if that's the, if that's the case, maybe we're missing something. If Jesus said it's supposed to be a relationship with him. Anyway, how might that title be relevant at, say, Pentecost? Wait, do you know why they chose the word paraclet? Why Jesus chose the word paraclet? No, why
3: did
0: they put uh, the body armor. No, actually, I, I, I don't, which is why I was asking. Oh. The title as in the one who's speaks alongside the that's the title of Yeah, okay,
2: sorry.
0: not body armor. Pentecost. What? How is he speaking from alongside the of, of Pentecost in, in the ways that we've talked about any of them? Well, verbally,
3: right? He was, like everybody
0: was hearing in their own languages. Yeah. Giving them so, words to speak. Yeah. Okay. How should or should the Holy Spirit be living any of that out in your life today? Or is that purely just a Pentecost thing? Well, if you keep
1: reading in that um,
0: it, he's there to guide you in return. Okay, all right, all right, all
1: right,
0: all right. Let's read verse 8. I will. Um, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. Okay. If this is true, then how is it good that he comes in verse 7? Jesus says good in verse 7. In verse 8, he says he's going to convict the world of sin and judgment on the Off. Is that a good thing? Is conviction a good thing? It's a hard thing, but it's good. Okay, why? What? No, it depends what? They
3: say it depends on which side of the conviction you're on. Oh, even so. I mean, like, in, like we talked about in Joel, or is it the... If, if you are if you are righteous, if you are doing the good thing, then conviction in, in the fact that, yes, they're convicting everybody else um, can be a good thing, and you can see it as a good thing, but if you're on the wrong side, then it is still a good thing,
0: yeah, but that's it's the, also, like
3: Alex said, a really hard thing, that uh, yeah.
0: means you have to change. Technically, I didn't, yes, you're absolutely right. Technically, I didn't ask if it's a pleasant thing, but is it a good thing? Even if you go, I'm on the wrong side of this, and I'm getting convicted of my sin, is that a good thing? You go, well, yeah. Oh. How so? Because it's,
1: things are being made right. Like, there's
0: justice. There's, like Nikki the said, change for the better. Think, think of it this way. Okay, Mark's on the right side of history. You know, here's, here's God's conviction line. And Mark is sitting here knowing that he's right with God. And he hears that God says, I'm going to convict people of their sins. And Mark's like, dude, I currently got none right now. Which, of course... Slaps one on it. But it's twice. <laughs> He's on the right side of history, so is that a good thing? For Mark, yes. Yeah. Nikki is on the wrong side of God's conviction. Oh. Here's the, here's the, oh, they're married, I can think. <laughs> they're, She's on the wrong side of it. She knows, or she didn't fine. know, that she's sinful, and God says, I convict sinners. Is that good for Nikki? Yes. Yeah. Why? Because I can then come back into right relationship. It's not just good because we say, well, it's ultimately good. For everybody, it's ultimately good for the world that, that sinners get wiped off. go, but it's also good for the sinner to sit there and go, what was I doing? Was it good to Nineveh that Jonah comes and says in thirty days you'll be overturned? Yeah. Is that good for them? Yeah. Because it gave them the opportunity to repent, didn't it? To get on the right side of things. White and true. <laughs> By definition it's gotta be good, but but even in practice I wanted us to see, you go, wait, even if I'm on the other side of this, it's good for me because I I have the opportunity to change. If you keep reading, how does this go? Keep reading from verse 8 to 13, that first little bit of 13.
1: When he comes, uh, oh, that's verse 8. Uh, it's all right. That He will prove the world to be uh, in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, uh, because the prince of this world now stands in debt. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, uh, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come.
0: So how does Jesus flesh this out? How is this good? What's he doing?
1: He's giving them what they need at the time. They can't bear the truth. You could just tell them. Okay. Um, but he's sending along his spirit that will um, guide them, that will reveal
0: truth to them, and will speak from, from God to them. Yeah. Is, this, is this Holy Spirit basically just a conscience that makes you go, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah. How active is he supposed to be here? In verses 8 to 13, how active is the Holy Spirit in your Christian life? Lots of active. How would, you, how would you describe that to somebody that never heard about any of this? How would you describe the role of the activity of the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life, given these verses? What? I'm just thinking of the, the song, the teleprompter in the brains. Yeah. <laughs> He's supposed to be intimately involved in all your decision-making, right? He's giving you wisdom from the manufacturer directly into your spirit. Is, Is that functionally the way we interact with the Holy Spirit most of the time? So is the Spirit the one who convicts us of sin or the one who advocates for us when we sin? Some of you frowned. What, what does it say here in these verses? Does he convict us of sin, or does he advocate for us when we sin? I mean,
3: if you're if you're saying advocate for us, meaning um, to help us change and become right, and to, and to help us get back on the right path, then, then yes. And if you're saying advocate to me in the sense the lawyer, speak almost sense that he's
0: convicting us. Also, yes. He, uh, yes, he convicts us. He's, is he the prosecuting attorney that convicts us of sin? Is he the defense attorney that, that speaks on our behalf? Oh, yes. How does that work?
1: Because we are sinful. Uh-huh. That's, that's truth. And the Spirit knows that about us. And, hey, stop that. But we also have Jesus who's this evidence that makes our sin wiped clean. So the Spirit is like, hey, Hey,
0: you did the thing, but it's taken care of. Now what are you going to do about it? Okay. In general, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Probably wrong. In general, to deal with the question of sin in our lives, we tend to not want to think about the sin in our lives. We tend to say, obviously, Alex is my problem. The reason I did this is because Alex did that, right? That's, That's my gut reaction. Why am I angry at Wendy? Well, I wouldn't be if she hadn't done this made me do this. Um, the woman you provided. I know. This is, we tend to do that. Actually, yes. Very first sin. What's well, the very first reaction? Well, wouldn't have if it hadn't been for her, which is really your fault, God. It's her fault, which is really your fault. Or we sweep the sin under the rug. I don't really want to think about it. If I just don't see it, I don't think about it, it's not really sin. You know, it's not really sin. I'm actually more of a victim here when you think about it. You go... Isn't that the exact opposite of what the Holy Spirit is doing here? Where He's like, all right, let's be extremely clear. This is your sin. This is what you're doing wrong. You need to stop it. I'll empower you to stop it. I'll help you to understand what you should have done. And I will stand there and say, you are washed clean. Let me clarify that to you. Let me speak that to God. Let me speak that to, the, to everybody. But we need to be absolutely clear about what's actually going on here, right? He's the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth. All these things, right? So it kind of goes opposite from what we would naturally do. Naturally, if I say, I think I might have done something wrong, I want to blame Mark. Or God, because it's ultimately God's fault for creating Mark in the first place. And I want us to think, well, it wasn't really sin. I don't really want to think about it. I want to move on. That was yesterday. Let's think about today. Whereas the Holy Spirit goes, let's be absolutely true and absolutely clear here. So am I speaking on your behalf or against what you just did? Yes.
2: I guess I'm not struggling with this at all in that direction. I'm struggling with it that there's no that we go from this is your sin, this is where you're wrong to may your wash clean. There's nothing in between that. There's there's no accountability on
3: your part.
0: Oh, I'm pretty sure that's what he's doing throughout all these verses, isn't he? Walking it's through. The Holy Spirit, you do get that
3: nudge kind of, a lot of times, like. Hey, you're doing something wrong. Like, hey, this is gonna be, this could turn out bad. This, uh, uh, don't you feel weird about this? <laughs> <right? By last laughs> I don't even
2: mean that. I mean, you did it, you're convicted. You need to ask for repentance. You don't just go to, hey, you're washed clean. That's that's where my struggle was. Oh, this connection, this
0: well, sentence was. Except that I would say that's <laughs> what does he say in verse eight that he's doing?
2: Like we're assuming that's happening.
0: Yeah. Okay. What's he saying in verse eight? I mean, he's convicting you of sin, right? You're supposed Maybe to be convicted
1: sin and righteousness
0: and judgment. Yeah, so it's just like, I want all of you to understand all of this. And so, yes, there are other places where we're told specifically about repentance and things. It's not... It's conviction not. has always
1: been a process. Yeah. And so I do think that it's implicit in
0: here that he's talking about the
1: conviction and concerning righteousness and judgment. He's going to communicate all that with
0: you. Well, if I can conflate this with, like, 1 John, you can talk about the... Uh, all this is ultimately so that you don't sin. But when you do sin, there's one who stands in the- Yes? I was going
3: to say, but when we... I'm watching too much lawyer shows. But when you do... do um, when, when the conviction has come down that the person <laughs> did something wrong, and if, if the defendant stands there and says... And, and says, during the sentencing here, he says... You know, I apologize for what I did. I know, I, I acknowledge I did this, but I, I feel horrible for the, the pain that I've caused the family. I've caused this and this, and I know what I did was wrong. But, you know, then then the defendant, the defender, the defense attorney, defense attorney will then try to advocate for a lesser sentence.
0: <laughs> I can see that.
3: You know, in this case, then Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the defense attorney who advocates for us being the watchline.
0: And, and I would say implicit in all that is the idea we're talking about the Holy Spirit living within you as a Christian. So you already stand um, paid for in, 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 in Christ. Which is not to say that, oh, everything's okay, everything's Jake, but it's, it's like, well, no, we're talking to people who have been who have been redeemed. And so it's a matter of saying, well, you have been redeemed. Live like that. It doesn't
3: um, mean that you don't get physical consequences
0: this case, consequence of hell. And I don't want to get too far afield of trying to balance that sense of, of uh, you should have a healthy fear uh, for when you sin and a healthy confidence that when you sin, that forgiveness has already been given to you. So I mean, when you sit there and go, ah, it's no big deal, I've already been forgiven, I can do anything I want. You know, Paul, the writer of Hebrews, everybody goes, no, no. People go, oh, well then uh, I screwed up. Obviously, God's abandoned me. You go, well, n- no, Jesus, Paul. Multiple people have said, no, 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 John. So it's it's a balance between those. But I really didn't plan on going into all that. But the idea of saying he's he's there to he's there to be the prosecuting attorney, the defense attorney, basically the one that sits there and goes, Here's what's actually going on. You need to be honest here. We need to look at what the truth actually is here. Are the Holy Spirit's actions here consistent with what we've seen throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament? How so? Why or why not? If he's coming alongside, if he's speaking to you, he's speaking for you, he's speaking through you, that we see all that so far, is that stuff that we've seen him do... In scripture thus far, give any examples, any specifics. I, mean, I think David,
1: King David and the fact that he was convicted, and mm-hmm. then also after the conviction, comforted
0: him. so mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit through the, the words. And that the Spirit speaks through him after that in in Psalms that he's written. So you go, the Holy Spirit had spoke to him, the Holy Spirit uh, gave him solace in, in an appropriate way, and the Holy Spirit still used him after.
1: Um, verse 13, the second part, for he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He's talking about he's going to speak from the Lord. Which, and that's new? Well, no, but what might be considered new, as I just don't know,
0: what I'm going to think about, um,
1: is that he might have spoken of his own volition prior.
0: Um, I hear what you're saying. I don't think that's the force of what that sentence is getting. Probably not,
1: but it just made me think. That
0: is good. That's what we want. But but it's it's more reminding you that when the Holy Spirit is prompting you, this isn't this isn't just a nudge of conscience. This is God prompting you. Okay. And even that, since we're reading the second part of of, of thirteen, speaking of things that are to come, is that something the Holy Spirit has done before? He's very consistent throughout Scripture. Okay, but this is technically about Pentecost, so let's read. Somebody read verse, chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all
3: together in one place.
0: Okay, what exactly is Pentecost? Fifty days after. Yeah, but it, had, it was Pentecost before Pentecost came. So what was Pentecost? What does the word mean? <coughs> Funky little teaching moment. Okay, Pentecost means fiftieth. Yeah, but why? What What is that getting at? Okay. All right, it's the fiftieth day of the feast of weeks, Shavuot. All right, which means it's the the day after the seventh seventh day week, because seven means stuff. this seven sevens, and the next day after seven sevens. They commemorate stuff. Like this is traditionally the Moses bringing the commandments of God to the people of God. Happened on um, this 50th day after Passover. According to Jewish tradition, the fire of God blazed and God's spirit broke into 70 different languages when he did. Right? This is actually from a Jewish website. So it's like, yes, the fire of God was there. Broken to seventy tongues, pew, spread out into everybody through these rays of light when he spoke the law the first time. Is that what actually happened? I don't know. That's Jewish tradition. Okay. It's also the day each year where the Jews celebrated the grain harvest being brought in, which is why this is sometimes called the festival of reaping or the festival of first fruits, right? Shavuot, first fruits. Um, thus, as God's first fruits, not just first fruits. God's first fruits every Jew is supposed to present themselves before God at the temple on Pentecost so I don't care if you're living in Cleveland you got to make your way back to Jerusalem that day and be there for them what what does it mean what does it mean that, that 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 would help them to think of themselves as God's first fruits they're bringing in the first fruits of their crops and then they're supposed to come in what does that do to their mindset should do to their mindset They matter. Okay. What else? You're God's first fruits. Yeah, you're important. What else? What are you supposed to do with the first fruits? To? You're the first fruits. Huh. So yes, (laughs) you matter. You're important. But you go, I'm supposed to bring my first fruits to the temple and say, these all belong to God. You know, we're all the first fruits, and we're supposed to bring us to the temple and say, we belong to God. This is important. This is meaningful. Uh, we're all supposed to be there. How, how how would you think, just from what I just said there, how would people be primed for Pentecost at Pentecost this year? In what ways? What, what have I said here that you think would, would bear into that
3: Languages, the spirit speaking through
0: people, um, stuff happening. Okay. And the commandments even, and anything with this one. Thousand people
1: were brought in.
0: Huh. You're brought in. You're you should be given to God as an act of worship. You are here to to, to remind yourselves that what God has created you, you are the best parts. Not so that you get cocky, like, oh, I'm amazing. It's like, no, you're just the first fruits. You're the first bit to come in. This is the first part of this. You guys are the part that, that we are giving to the Lord in an appreciation. Yeah, all that. Okay, so read 2, 1 through 4. Whoever's next in the line, I've lost track.
2: When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and built the whole house when they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them.
0: Now, I appreciate the dedication to... Detail. Okay, so what stands out here as the most bizarre, exciting element or elements of this episode to you and why? What strikes you as, well, huh? Tell us fire is pretty dramatic. I think so. What else? Anything? The violet with
1: the house. Uh huh. Okay,
0: what else? get the impression it's the main math part that's the really interesting thing, especially when when people recognize that they're like, dude, how do you know this language? How would you know this language? Yet Galilean? Speaking Italian with an accent. So, um, Galilean accent. Um, so what is, what's, what's the point of the of the tongues of fire then? What, why is that there? Why would God do it that way? What would that indicate to them? Yeah, anybody watching? I mean, there uh, would be some alignment to the tradition. floor. yeah. I mean, so th- there would be that whole, there's there's spire here as uh, as this stuff is happening. What else? Anything else other than just pointing back to, to that in Deuteronomy? Yeah. Isn't it like an a prophecy? How so? <laughs> Didn't we hear about about people being filled with the Holy Spirit, and speaking God's will, and all that kind of stuff from Joel? And we hear about the, the the fire of the Holy Spirit in in, uh, in Isaiah. I mean, isn't this stuff that we've that we've heard? Okay. Anything else? Just be a marketer for a moment. Totally secular. What? It is a
1: visual
3: Uh, <laughs> okay, cause, and it even reckons back to like the
1: color of fire right? I And mean,
0: things like that Absolutely Okay let's go to the second one That rushing wind That, that, that just, All right. What's what's up with that Why why is that there Was that detailed when You're
2: hearing it, you're seeing it, you're feeling it It's pretty all encompassing
3: What's going on
0: It is a multimedia experience Would
3: you would you think that
0: you're jerking with it Possibly I mean seriously it's a multimedia It's a that. But what else about the rushing wind? Isn't that how God created the earth? It came upon the earth. Didn't he, didn't he breathe? What's What's the word for spirit? Breathe. <coughs> yeah. Isn't the, spirit, the word for spirit in, in the Old Testament the same as the word for breath and wind? Isn't the word for spirit the same as breath and wind in the New Testament? Pneuma? So the whole house is just filled with wind, and they were filled with spirit, which I respect that English does that in two different things, but you do understand that to the first century mindset, when Dr. Luke is writing all this, it's like, let's go back to that super saturated dripping thing. It's not just, boy, I mean, you can feel it all around you, you go in you, all around you. There's spirit in you, there's spirit around you. You're inundated with this. The whole place is inundated with this. You are filled with this. The breath of God fills this place. The very breath of life that we got from back in Genesis, right? Because isn't that the Holy Spirit was breathed into us, gave us life as human beings. Okay? So you've got flame, you've got, you got wind, you've got the breath of God. I didn't that whole speaking in other languages. What's up with that? Babel reversed, or or at least Babel counterbalanced. Kind of it's like you guys, I I confounded your languages. Now I'm using them. What else? How do the people respond? How is it that we hear them speaking in? In our own languages, right? How is it we hear them? Sp- I'm Italian. How is it that I hear them speaking Italian? I'm Chinese. How is it that I hear them speaking Chinese? What does that do? Is that just an interesting detail? God loves his throwaway interesting details that don't really mean anything to get your attention. He
1: made them put together. made them pay attention. He, made them. he gave them understanding. I like that even
2: more with what Donna said. Because all those people were supposed to disperse, but they had come together, and they were all actively working towards one thing. You see, all the people come together here, and they are there for the right reasons, to be the first fruits. And God says, all right, I'll, I'll do what I did in, in reverse, and we're going to use this. If you meant it for evil before, I'm going to use it to share my word with everyone.
0: And I'm going to speak to you specifically in a way that you realize is not just natural. It's unnatural, it's not the way, there's, there's no way that these people are all speaking all these languages that they didn't know before. So it's unnatural, it draws me to it, and it speaks to me. I'm sorry, what does paraclete mean? To, to speak from alongside, to, to, to engage with you. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Is the Holy Spirit speaking around you? Is the Holy Spirit speaking for you? What's the Holy Spirit doing when we say paraclete? Uh-huh, right? What's, what's he doing here? Uh-huh. And not just speaking amazingly. He's speaking to Mark and to Wendy and to Christy and to Cliff and to Kelvin. At the same time, he's doing all this where he's just like one big, broad swath and very particularly individual as to where you're at. And he's speaking of, of God. Yes. So it's... It's a praise service where he's praising God and giving thanks to God and doing in a way that each person realizes is unnatural and yet absolutely individualized. That's cool. like, almost like, I don't know, like no thing or like him speaking to. It's like, how did the God, you know, they
1: were inside a house, and then how did the God fearing Jews start hearing? How did they know to come? I mean, I don't know, it just. It seems to me like there's
0: almost another piece of the Holy Spirit almost speaking in them and drawing them there. Actually, the, the word that's used here, most most um, commentators would think it's actually a side room in the temple because they were considered these these kind of like study rooms in the temple. And They're not shut off with closed doors, but you're off in this alcove. And also this alcove is filled with 120 people and fire and wind filling everything, and these voices coming in, people are like, I want to be part of that Bible study. You know, this like this. Now we don't know that, but that's the that's the implication is that is that there's at least several thousand people sitting there interacting with them and able to interact with them where they're at. And it's Pentecost,
1: though they're coming to do the things that they're
0: supposed to. Do. Oh, that's a good point. Somebody read verse five.
1: Now they were staying in Jerusalem, uh, god bearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why?
0: Because it's Pentecost, and every Jew from everywhere is supposed to be there. So again, why do you think that God is doing Pentecost this way? He's doing this specific set of things on a day when everybody is supposed to be there at the temple. Why?
1: Because this is the point where he is taking in that quarter to Bringing these people
0: in. He's, he's, them he's bringing in this first fruits of the of the church, isn't he? And doing it on a day when they would understand first fruits. He's bringing a command to them on a day they would understand receiving commands. He's he's speaking to them at their tongues at a day when they would understand the idea of God speaking out of flames and in tongues. He's doing all this stuff. It's almost like it's almost like Pentecost was set up way back with Moses, you know, like God knew what he was doing, like the Holy Spirit's been consistent the whole stinking time, right? <coughs> so is the Holy Spirit something that's Pentecostal, kind of or is the Holy Spirit someone who has been active consistently through the whole thing? I was
2: going to say, and also they had to remember what Jesus said um, in Mark, where he was saying that it and says, go to all the world, and preach the good news to all creation, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Um, and uh, they'll pick up snakes. And you know, it just kind of goes on to say, this is what will happen. And here we're seeing them speaking in
0: new tongues. So, so Jesus kind of gave those instructions. Yep. Yes, it took, right where it took off. But, but, which echo, some of that echoes uh, what he said back in John 3.16 to 3.18. You know, it's like the idea of standing condemned already until you have, you have been saved. The idea of what uh, Joel talked about, about people, my, my spirit will be poured out on the people and this is what they will do. There's a consistency to all this. This is something that, would have meant something. Does the Holy Spirit still have, if he if he had this ministry and mission and purpose back in Exodus, um, and had it throughout Joel, and had it during the Gospels, and had it in Acts, this idea of, I'm gonna reach out to people through, through, through God's power, and I'm going to empower people with God's power, and I'm gonna use those people to draw in other people to honor God, and we're all going to be praising God, is that, is that something he still does now? Or did that stop with the last apostle that died? That's what he did in Genesis. That's what he did in Exodus. That's what he did in the Psalms. That's what he did in the Prophets. That's what he did in the Gospels. That's what he did in Acts. That's what Paul seems to suggest that he's doing. Is that what he does now? To so reach out to people through God's empowered people so that we all come together closer to the Lord to honor God. Do we have that mission? Maybe let me ask this two ways. Have we been given that mission as God's empowered people to let the Holy Spirit work through us to draw? us and those around us closer to the Lord to honor God? Have we been given that mission as a church? Yes. Now, don't just not. Do we as a church have that mission? I think
1: sometimes we're
0: better than others. Yeah. Now, have we been given that mission? Yes. Do we live that up with consistency? Do we say, yep! Yes! I pray that the Holy Spirit empowers me and speaks through me to the people around me to help draw one another to the Lord. And by that, I mean, um, Donna's not a Christian. And so I want to let the Holy Spirit speak through me and reach out to Donna through my empowered... You know, Cliff is a Christian. And so I'm here to to let the Holy Spirit speak through me and be a a paraclete in, in Cliff's life. And I want to encourage him and draw him closer to the Lord. I'm really torqued off at Wendy and I want the Holy Spirit to speak through me and draw us both closer to honoring God. Do we consistently have that sense? Hint, I don't think we do. I, I, I think we should, and I don't think we do. I, I think part of that, well, part of that's what we've been talking about in the sermon series, isn't it? There's, there's what we know, and there's what we're, we're willing to do, because what we know is just doesn't feel natural. Why else? Why else do we struggle with things sometimes? We have been changed. We have been moved from death to life. We are not the natural people we were before. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have the Holy Spirit's power. The Holy Spirit can come upon us in great power at various moments and to accomplish all sorts of different things. Why don't we consistently live that way? And this isn't a time to beat ourselves up. This is a time to go, well, why? What can we work on? what? what? You know why? Because we're not. Yeah. But, but especially in our particular society and
1: culture, we do it. You, an individual does it, and we just aren't. We're not. We're
0: not able to think easily like that. It is a discipline to do so. Okay. Go ahead. I think also it's very. You know, I mean, I think
1: about. And that's, that's really scary. You know, it's really scary to see the things that, that we don't want to see, the, the ways that we're broken, the ways that we aren't listening to. Them. I mean, it's just, it's really hard work. There's a lot of the Christian walk that I think is, oh, that, that part's nice. But then there's some other parts that,
0: like you said, it's like, okay, well, if I'm just forgiving other people and being nice to other people, but if i got to look at all the crap that's inside of me, I really don't think of it. Let me link both of these wisdoms together. You go, I want to be a conduit of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I wish Scott were here, and we could have a plumbing question. What happens when that conduit gets a bunch of gunk built up? Or I can ask a doctor, what happens when your arteries get a bunch of gunk built up? What happens what happens? It's like, well it doesn't it doesn't flow as well. And it's not that there's a problem necessarily with the blood or necessarily with the, the water going through the pipe. It's a problem with the pipes being filled with stuff. And you go, I just I just don't seem to get the Holy Spirit's power, I don't seem to get the Holy Spirit's Joy I don't just the Holy Spirit's conviction. I just don't seem to, to get that as solidly in my life. Is there gunk in the pipes? Is there stuff that's not the Holy not not the Holy Spirit's problem? Is there stuff isn't that the argument that Paul does with, with the law? He's like, well, it's not the law's fault. The law is fine. We just stink at this. You know, it's it's not that. You know, well, it's not the Holy Spirit's problem if the Holy Spirit has been consistent throughout the Old Testament and through the New Testament, it's not the Holy Spirit that's changed. So there's gunk in the pipes. And until we de-gunkify some of the pipes, there is, well, Paul talks about don't don't, don't squelch the Holy Spirit, don't quench the fire of the Holy Spirit. Because apparently you, you can, right? Subject to the prophet still, or the tongues of the prophet still subject to the prophet, right? Uh, unless the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, not this time. Um, But in general, but let me link that, remember what you're going to say, but let me link that to what Wendy was saying here is, there's also this part where you go, we just don't think that way. We, We can picture a father and a king on a throne, even though we do that kind of backwards and we anthropomorphize how we view God, but we can picture that. And we can picture a son, or even more to the point, We can picture Jesus telling us to be cool to each other and, hey, don't throw rocks, or even sometimes, hey, stop selling stuff in my... We can picture him physically walking around doing Jesus stuff. But especially in the modern era, how comfortable are you talking about spiritual, mystical things that God is doing in your heart compared to trying to explain to people, you know, Jesus said, maybe we shouldn't be judging people, you know, playing moat, People go, oh, I'm with that. And you go, Holy Spirit, spiritually moving me. And they go, yeah, I'm spiritually. You go, no, you're a spiritist. It's different. It's hard to explain to people the idea that there's a spirit of truth, and there are spirits out there that aren't truth. So we need to be spiritual, but we need to be discerningly spiritual. That's complicated. And we tend not to do complicated. And if it's complicated, we tend to go, well, let me just focus on the parts I do get. But that's evil, but we miss stuff. And if the Holy Spirit is consistently complicated, consistently not the way we tend to think, then everything that Jesus said about, when I leave, you'll have an even deeper, richer, more intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we say, yeah, that's weird. Good, but weird. Plus, got like all this stuff, I'm not entirely certain I want it disclosure on everything in my life. But, you know, I still want all the benefits, even though I don't really want to dwell on it, I don't really understand it, I don't really want to clean the pipes. Why don't we just we see the Holy Spirit working the like way he did before? It must be that he's changed, and he no longer does that sort of thing. Like, really, there are place all around the world where I hear of the Holy Spirit doing very New testament kinds of stuff. The Holy Spirit must have changed. We should try to incorporate some of what we talked about here and say, you know what? I need to think more spiritual minded about a lot of this stuff. I need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And all those things that feel kind of unnatural to my modern sense, I need to go, I should rethink that? And maybe I should at least consider that some of the spurting of the Spirit that I see in my life, instead of the ongoing even flow, might be because of filter problems that I've got. What were you going to say? I think
2: you touched that. I don't really want to get into a conversation of spiritual gifts, per se. That's later on. But Dan had joined a Bible study for a while, one of the requirements to be a missionary with him is that you been raised three people from the dead. Don't really want to get to that conversation. But but, but the idea that... Well, I don't know. I, I don't know do the number. But the idea that... Um, and I very much was brought to the church that anything like that has Just absolutely ceased. Mm-hmm. Maybe if we are doing good enough that we have... Uh, now the flow issue, maybe we're
0: just not connected. There is that. There is that possibility. I just don't see the Holy Spirit working in it. Did you ever turn on the spigot? I don't know
2: if we can raise three people from the dead, but I do know that the Holy Spirit's working, but I don't know that it's always been a valve I've been plugged into because
0: sure. it's just the idea that that's not, that's not going on anymore. Exactly. So why would you even look into it? Well, exactly. Uh, well, and that's, um, I'll, and to, to, to use the other analogy, um, you don't tend to bleed a lot after you die. Because your blood isn't pumping through your veins necessarily the same way, um, so it, it comes down to well, how do you how do you make sure that you actually have the Holy Spirit moving in you? First off, you've got to be alive in the Spirit. You've got to actually be a Christian. You actually have to turn the spigot on. You have to actually have the water moving through you. Whatever analogy you want to use, right? I mean, that that's a gimme. There are times where the Holy Spirit moved through people, in Balaam. But in general, you go. I'd like that even flow of the Holy Spirit in my life. You go. Well, make sure you're actually moved from death to life. Make sure you're actually connected to this. But then I go back to when Paul's like, don't, don't squash it. Don't, don't, don't quench the fire of the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Is the Holy Spirit wanting to work in you? Yeah. By don't, don't stand in the way of that. There's a gazillion ways you can stand in the way of that. You do what I did and when I, t- I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I just sit there and go, "This is weird. I refuse to do this." It's, I'm, I'm a rationalist. Everything I do stands on rationalism. I'm not. I'm not going to let the Holy Spirit do this. And you go, "Yeah, that's dumb. Good job." Or you could say, "I'm just I'm uncomfortable with this this thing. Not just I'm uncomfortable in general with the idea of the Holy Spirit leading me. I'm comfortable with where he's. I'm going to Asia Minor." Well, the Holy Spirit says, go to, go to Europe. I don't want to. Right? Go to Nineveh. Mm, Spain. You know, you there's, that, there's those kinds of things. Well, there's times where, aren't we told, you know, seek the greater gifts. Seek, seek the gifts of the spirit of love and discernment and things. You guys love the sign gifts, Corinthians, but there are other gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you. Seek but then again, Paul also says, yeah, I speak in tongues more than any. I'm not saying that those are bad. I'm just saying seek get the, the, the gifts. Yeah. Do you want to notice that one thing I predicted up and sometimes seeing in others that, that were
1: more seeking the Holy Spirit is sometimes, like, I think it's the end of using it like a drop. I mean, trying to, and that I feel like that clenches him, too. It's like not wanting to change and have him do the hard stuff inside, just
0: wanting that feel, that wonderful feel of his presence, instead of putting it in. You could, hopefully nobody listening to this hears me picking on cessationists. I, I grew up in a cessationist church that sat there and said, obviously the Holy Spirit has completely stopped doing all this stuff, based on one scripture taken out of context, and personal experience that he doesn't seem to be doing it in me which is bad theology, if you ask me, and as I read into it, and as I studied it, I was like, I don't think I want to do that kind of eisegesis in my life. So, I'm not picking on cessationists, but you could sit there and go, well, Kevin's talking about it. Let's, Let's do the flip side of this. What's the danger of at least some Pentecostal charismatic churches? It becomes, let's all be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is awesome. This is a great church service. Why? It was rocking, and we felt amazing. So, you know, one person's bouncing off the walls, they came out energized, I just wept and wept and feel cleansed, and you go, right, that's that's what scripture is consistently telling you is what the Holy Spirit is trying to make you do, feel real good, empowered, yeah, empowered, not necessarily energized, wow, I'm just bouncing off the walls, coming out of that church, church. that's rocking, Holy Spirit's moving there, that church is alive, lot, alive. Lot. Mean, we had electric guitars, we had drums, we did the bunny hop down the aisle, uh, I, I spoke in tongues, it was awesome, now I can go to lunch and I'm just, you go, being filled with the Holy Spirit should be energizing. But if that's all that it is, or if that's primarily what it is, I would say, I think you're getting jazzed watching the water come out of the spigot. You know, Did you even get wet? Or did you just watch the water come out of the spigot and say, that's really cool?
3: Anything in the worship today they don't sing the music that really you
0: know moves I am amazed at the 497 thousand different reasons why people say I don't like this because I didn't feel it or I didn't like it because it was emotional I wanted to go to a church service where I could feel worshipful by that I mean quiet calm and separate somebody else goes yeah I wanted to feel worship you know rock awesome Good. Amazing. Somebody else goes, I want to go. Just cry and just cry and just cry. It's a group that we had in in college that we referred to as the sponge sisters. Because like in every worship service, they just bawled their eyes out. Which is awesome. My wife was one of them briefly. And it was, no, no, no. Um, And it was a brand new Christian. And it was the Holy Spirit just softening her heart. But even she, she didn't realize, some of you are here for the tears. Wendy was weeping because the Holy Spirit was working in her heart and breaking it down and softening her. Other people were weeping because the weeping was the point. That cathartic feeling of, ah! I remember one of them was somebody who almost, after almost every retreat would come back and say, now I finally feel that God loves me. the first time, I really understand that. you, you, You say that every time for the first time I finally understand this. If you say that once, i moved with you. If you say that every time, what happened between the times? What, how does this not stick with you? How can this be the first time you really understand this? Again, I'm not trying to pick on any one kind of person or another. As much as I'm saying we can say I don't want that kind of movement of spirit, therefore that doesn't happen. Or we can have other people say, I want that movement. The movement is the exciting part. With scripturally speaking, consistently we have the Holy Spirit is moving to do stuff, right? And it's not just to do fireworks. And it's not just so that you feel no connection whatsoever. The idea is so that we are changed. And so that the Holy Spirit moves in us and through us to change us and all those around us. Right? But we struggle with that, and thus the point of this class. To make a stop and to wait, I'm supposed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's supposed to change it. I'm supposed to be doing that every day and being transformed every day. I'm supposed to have a deep, intimate connection with the Holy Spirit. I, I don't want you to feel guilty, but I do want all of us to say, I think I may have missed some stuff. And I'm glad that Sarah brought up, well, how do we do that? He's like, well, start off by saying, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, work your your word and will in me. Lord, transform me. You should, aren't there prayers like that in scripture? Where people are like, yeah, ask for that. Say, Lord, every day, help me engage with you. In your prayer, be interactive in your prayer. As if God were actually in the room with you and in the body with you, in the spirit with you, because he is. Remember that he's a he, not just an it, in every sense of what that is. You know, let's let's connect with him. And when he says, I'm moving in you, let him. I, I remember speaking back to the charismatic Pentecostal side. My roommate in college uh, grew up also in a cessationist church all this had ceased. And, uh, and we went to the same uh, Assemblies of God, uh, campus Fellowship, which was like the least Pentecostal Pentecostal Fellowship of all time. And I mean that in a, in a good way. I'm not picking on them one way or the other. But they they were, they, that was part of things. It wasn't the whole point of things. But he was at uh, the bedside of a friend of his who was in the hospital in a coma. And uh, he prayed for her. And as he was praying, Lord, I pray you heal her. He said, I felt this surge of energy through me. It was weird. I got goosebumps and she woke up and he's just like Kevin was that being filled with the Holy Spirit was that how's that how's that work and I'm like I don't know he's like, well shouldn't I know I'm like, if you want to let's pretend that that was being filled with the Holy Spirit is that something you be willing to let God work in you again sometime he's like, yeah like, okay let's pretend that wasn't that wasn't as cool as being filled with the Holy Spirit you want to pray that God actually fill you with this Holy Spirit and use you like that sometime? He said, yeah. I'm like, well, why do you need to know? God used you. Do you need to put a specific label on it that now you've arrived at spirit-filledness? Or that, or can you just say, wow, I think God used me and it was kind of an amazing thing and i really like to let God use me. He said, yeah. I'm like, yay. Do that. How about we we do that? Let's use Paul Dial as a good example. Like, I don't care whether you call yourself a spiritual Christian or not. I don't care whether you felt baptized in the Spirit or not. It's like, Holy Spirit can use you. Why don't we just pray that he does that? And when he prompts, let's to do that. You know, it's a very simple application, but he's living in you move from death to life. You're a new creation with a new nature. It's kind of supposed to be simple. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your spirit. I thank you that he's alive within us and makes us alive. Breathes your life into us when we are dead in our clay. And I pray, Lord, help us to live like the regenerated, spirit-filled, beloved living Christians that we are. Help us to honor you in all that we say, all that we do, in the attitudes of our hearts. I do pray, help us, at least on some levels, to get past easy labels like charismatic Pentecostal cessationist and simply believe that you are a big God who still works on us today. And I pray, help us to get out of your way. Clean our pipes. Help us to want you to work in us. Help us to pray that you work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.